Lord, I come to you today in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I lift up my brothers and sisters to you. Not only those that are here in this sanctuary, but those who have joined us online. Lord, our church is grieving. Lord, we've all experienced some loss. Some very special people in our lives, Pastor Mike and Christy and Pastor Tim and Donna, are moving on to the new things and the new places you have for them. But they have held such a special place in our hearts. Some that are here were saved under their ministry. Some were water baptized. Some were filled with the Holy Spirit. These couples have stood by us when loved ones have passed away. When we've been in hospitals with surgeries or illness. And so Lord we're suffering and experiencing loss. May we be willing to acknowledge that. We thank you for the memories. We celebrate. We cherish those memories. And nothing can take them from us. But we do grieve the loss. And I pray for each one of us. I include myself in this. Lord, heal our hurts. Heal our brokenness. Heal our pain. You are the healer. You're the healer of your body. And we receive that healing from you. And as we heal, may we comfort and encourage one another to move forward. Father, I believe that for this church, as is true for every believer, that what we learn from the turning the water into wine is that the best is yet to come. And Father, I believe that for this congregation. I believe that for the individuals of this church. Lord, we thank you for those couples that have brought us this far. Hitherto has the Lord helped us. You have been with us. You have brought us to this point. But Lord, you have so much more you want to do in us and for us and through us. So in this interim period, use Pastor Jerry and Jeannie to encourage us to help be in the process of healing us and restoring us. And may we move forward with fresh zeal and excitement and expectation for the things that, God, you want to do in this church and in our communities. And I pray this morning for every need that is here today. Lord, you're aware of every need. And I pray where healing is needed, whether it be mentally, emotionally, relationally, physically, whatever it is, you are the Lord that heals. And we come by faith in Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary's cross. And we accept and receive your healing provision. Lord, for any need, whatever it may be that's here, you are the sufficient supplier of all that there is. And so we receive from you. Because we know that you're a good, good father. You're a generous, giving God who loves to give good things to his children. And we thank you for that, and we receive that from you. 
In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen Amen and amen. You may be seated. Praise God. God is good. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Isaac, for getting me straightened out here. And uh, Marcus, appreciate your helping toward that end as well. Um, I just want to mention that we are friends with Pastor Jerry and Jeannie. Uh, We did not know the board's process of who they were choosing. Uh, But you are going to love Pastor Jerry and Jeannie. Uh, They are a pastor's, um, they have pastor's hearts. Not just Pastor Jerry, you're you're getting a package deal here. Uh, Jeannie is loving, uh, caring. Uh, You are going to benefit from their ministry. And I believe that, uh, and I'm not speaking for the board now, I'm speaking from previous experiences The time of interim, someone was asking me what interim is. This time of interim is a time of our refocusing, a time of healing, uh, a time of preparing us to move forward so that when our next pastor comes in to lead us forward, we're going to be ready to go. And uh, so uh, you're going to love this couple. Accept and receive their ministry. Uh, Be here if you can. And um, let them love on you and help you and encourage you. So, um, in my opinion, the board did a a great job in their selection. We appreciate the board. Keep them in prayer. Turn with me. Amen. Turn with me in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah is the second from the last book in the Old Testament. Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Malachi uh, ends the the Old Testament. And these three books are among the minor prophets, but their ministry took place um, after uh, the exile, after their Babylonian captivity. And uh, Zechariah was preaching about 400 years before the first Palm Sunday. So when Zechariah said what we're going to read in a moment, he was speaking this 400 years before uh, the first Palm Sunday. The title of today's message is Triumph, Tragedy, and Tribulation. I know that the last two don't sound too welcoming. But Triumph... Tragedy and Tribulation. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 speaks of the coming king of Zion. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Father, I believe you have something for us today from the story of the triumphal entry. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts, each one of us, will be open to receive, that you will anoint me to preach. Your word is already anointed. It's already alive and active. But anoint me to share it, to preach it, and anoint the congregation, not only those here, but those who have joined us online, to hear and to receive. 
In Jesus' name, amen. amen. How rapidly the days have closed on Jesus' public ministry. It's been three years. On Palm Sunday, the first Palm Sunday, he begins his final week of earthly ministry. It begins with his ride into Jerusalem. And if you follow through the Gospels, the next day he cleanses the temple. That's followed by his cursing the fruitless fig tree. That had nothing to do with a fig tree not producing fruit. It had everything to do with the religious leaders who in their traditions and rituals were empty. We have the story in this last week of Mary breaking a jar filled with expensive perfume. This was the sister of Lazarus, whom he had just recently raised from the dead. And it was at the end of this week that he instituted a new covenant as they met in the upper room and were to share in the Passover meal. Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body. And then he took a cup and said, this is the cup, the blood of the new covenant that is shed for you. From there they went out into the garden of Gethsemane where he prayed, God's will be done. Soon to be arrested, tried, scourged, and crucified. It's just three years earlier that John the Baptist had introduced Jesus as a Lamb of God who would do what? Take away the sin of the world. Not just the sin of Israel, but the sin of the world. From that day forward, his fame spread. But we know that not all held him in high esteem. The religious leaders wanted to kill him. Now the Gospel of John, and I encourage you in this coming week, read uh, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, uh, as well as Luke, and their story on this triumphal entry in this last week of Jesus' ministry and days on earth. But in the Gospel of John, he records seven miracles and John gives us the purpose for recording them. He said there were many more. In another place, the last chapter, he says, I, if everything that Jesus did in that three years of his public ministry were to be recorded, John doubted that the books in the world would have enough room to tell it all. But he wants us to know why the seven miracles were recorded. He said, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you will have life in his name. This one who is coming into Jerusalem is that Lamb of God that King of kings, that Lord of lords. Now, it's just 
a short time passed that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, that'll, that'll wow the crowds. You know, that was a wake-up time for many. And so the scribes hated him all the more. In John's gospel, he said that because of Lazarus being raised from the dead, they wanted to kill Lazarus as well as Jesus because they thought they felt like the whole world was following him, and especially now at the triumphal entry. They said, look, the whole world is following after him. Oh, wouldn't that be great if that were the case? But many were believing. Many of those who witnessed what happened with Lazarus, that exuberance, that enthusiasm, that excitement, was helping to generate this triumphal entry. Point number one is a day of triumph. I've never been there, but they tell me that this would have been a beautiful spring morning. The countryside would begin to be, or beginning to turn green, unlike Marinette County. And the crocus and the daffodils, they say, would have been blooming. We got pictures. Our daughter lives down in Franklin, Tennessee, and down there they are blooming. Hopefully that is soon to come. The fragrance of honeysuckle and pomegranates, they said, would have been filling the air. And Jesus and his disciples turned to Luke chapter 19, either on your device or your, in your Bible. I still like to carry the book. I'm still a book carrier. I you know I hear a couple amens. Luke chapter 19. They're getting ready to leave for Jerusalem. And we'll be making reference here. So keep your Bible open to Luke chapter 19. And they're now getting ready to leave for the city. Beginning with verse 28 and 29, when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet. And we'll pick that up in just a little bit. The people are making their pilgrimage. They're coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. It was required that the Israelites had to travel to Jerusalem. I believe there were at least three feasts that they had to all attend. So they would have been all coming into Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem would have been crowded during this event. And Jesus gives some instructions. You know, I believe in preparation. And Jesus did too. I mean the details and the specifics. First of all, at the end of the week, there was a room that Jesus had prepared for them to eat the Passover. And here, just how minute the details are, as Jesus gives instructions to do disciples, 
to go and get this colt. Let's look at um, verses 29 through 34, the end of verse 29 there. He sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Under it, no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this. The Lord has need of it. Um, the Lord has need of it. What a response. The Lord has need of it. And there was no questions asked. And they took this donkey. They took this colt. It was well planned. But then the exciting time. The procession. Beginning with verse 35. Let's look there. Through verse 38. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some no doubt were asking, who is this? You know, the massive crowd. Some may have not even been able to see well. Who is this? Who is this come riding? And it echoes for us Psalm 24. The coronation of the king. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory will come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. He is the King of glory. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. I mean the electricity that had to be in the air at this moment. The angels watching it. Shouting becomes infectious. The entire crowd is shouting the praises of God. They're rolling out the red carpet. It's what would have been done for any king. They throw their cloak down. They throw the palm branches down. They're rolling out the red carpet for him. I found it interesting. Ruth and I were reading in uh, the book of Numbers. We're doing a thematic reading uh, of Scripture. And uh, a few weeks ago, we were in the book of Numbers. And uh, we were reading about how Balak, the king of Moab, had hired Balaam to come and to curse Israel. And God made it clear to him that Balaam, you cannot curse what I have chosen to bless. That's a good word for us today. There is no effective curse on God's children. Whom God has chosen to bless, the enemy cannot curse. We are a blessed people. But as Balaam looked out and he realized that he could not curse these, he 
looked out over the multitude, somewhere between one and a half to maybe three million people. He looks out over them and he says this in Numbers 23, 21. He said, the shout of a king is among them. That's what set Israel apart from all the other nations. The shout of a king is among them. But the verse that is right before it says, The Lord, his God, is with him. That's why there's the shout of a king. You know why we shout on Sunday morning? Because we have a king in our presence. We have a king in our midst. The King of kings and the Lord of lords is here with us. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Clap your hands, O ye people. The King is among us. He is with us. Some of you will get excited after you eat lunch. (laughs) All were excited except the Pharisees. Notice what verses 19 says or I'm sorry, 39 and 40, say in Luke 19. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. In all of his ministry, he used to tell them, hey, he'd heal somebody, he'd say, hey, just don't tell everybody. It wasn't time yet for everybody to know. But on this occasion, it's time. And now he says, even if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. How embarrassed we would be if the stones had to cry out and we weren't. To worship him. Again, the Pharisees felt like the whole world was following him. This was the day of the king's triumphal entry into the city, and everyone was joining in the shouting, Hosanna, which means save now. Now that made the Pharisees nervous because if Rome gets the idea that they're going to get saved now, uh, there's going to be trouble. They believed they were going to be saved now. Because they were looking for someone that would save them from Rome. But not save them from their sin. The second point is the tragedy. If you listen and pay attention to the story. With all of this shouting going on. Somebody's weeping. It's Jesus. Turn, keep your spot here, but turn to Matthew chapter 23. You know, it just, it it seems like even when we get a message in tongues interpretation or prophecy, God is always inviting, he's always urging, he's always pleading And he's done that with Israel. Beginning with verse 37, he says, and it's a lament over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. 
Here's something if you want to highlight or underline. How often, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And the last part of that verse, and you were not willing. You were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now back to Luke chapter 19. As the people are shouting, Jesus' heart breaks into a passionate lamentation. Luke 19, 41 and 42. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. You know, there's a time for rejoicing, but there's also a time for weeping. And as Jesus came into the city, it says he wept over it. Saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. If they'd only known. This is the agony of a savior over a lost city. Matthew's phrase, how often, is a sorrowful summing up of the tenderest love story ever told. The relationship between God and Israel is one big love story. Never had a people been so loved as the children of Israel had. How they were provided and protected. The Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, is a story of the beginning of that nation. And how God called them out and showed them favor. And how he rescued them out of Egypt, out of bondage. How he provided for them in the wilderness. How he gave them water from a rock. How he gave them manna to eat. Where they were to learn to depend upon him and rely upon him. How he saw them across the Jordan and gave them the ability to conquer the promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. The book of Psalms has a number of Psalms that are devoted to this story of all the acts of God. The wonderful acts of God in behalf of Israel. Nehemiah 9, again, is a summary of all the things that God did for Israel. But Israel's unfaithfulness. The book of Hosea is written, it's a love story. Where God told the prophet Hosea to marry Gomer, a prostitute. That he used that as an illustration to Israel of how In the midst of Israel's unfaithfulness, God still loved her and reached out to her. The story of the prophets that God sent, one after another, to call them to himself. And they didn't listen. And then, he sent his only begotten son. And they wouldn't listen to him either.
He did it all because he loved them and because he wanted to use them to be a light to the Gentiles. Because God's love is not restricted to just Israel. God so loves the world. God's love is reflected in the parable of the lost sheep. He left the 99 to just go off after that wandering sheep, that one. And the woman who lost the coin demonstrates his love. How the thorough search swept and looked in the house until the coin was recovered. And in heaven, there is all this rejoicing. There's a hallelujah hoot nanny in heaven when one sinner gets saved. That's exciting. And then the prodigal. Are there, you know, there might be some prodigals here. There might be some prodigals watching this on live stream. God loves you. He's waiting for you. He's watching for you. He wants you to come home. He will forgive you. He will restore you. And he'll restore you to sonship. If you'll only listen. The Bible is filled with God's love story for man. But the sad thing is, is the day of grace for Israel was about to end. And they still refused. Could Jesus be saying that to some today? What he said that first Palm Sunday? You were not willing Are there any here that God has been reaching out to you and drawing you with cords of loving kindness? Or you're watching on live stream, he's been drawing you, he loves you, and you've been refusing him? He calls. He may call by using parents to a child or grandparents God may use a spouse to call the other spouse to Christ. He may use a co-worker, a, a Christian friend. But God is calling people to himself from every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. One of the names for the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is the Spirit of Grace and Supplication. We may not hear much about that, but... That same spirit of grace and supplication is working. And what it means is that supplication he is speaking to. He is drawing. By the grace of God, he is drawing people to Jesus. The story of Abraham in chapter 24 of Genesis where he sends out the servant to get a bride for his son, Rebekah. And Rebekah said, I will go. What a beautiful story that is. The servant is a type of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is always seeking for a bride for the Son of God. And I don't know about you, but I can feel that. God is love. And he's reaching out to a lost world. And the object he can use is his church to take the message. Many are not willing until tragedy is repeated. This is a story of conflict between a love that desires to save 
and an obstinate heart that will not respond. In verse 42, it's a lost opportunity. It was offered many times, and it was refused. And now it's the last opportunity. And he said, if you'd had known what makes for peace. Do you know, do we know what makes for peace? The angel announced it at the birth of Christ. And peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Peace is through a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He offers peace between you and him. Jesus is the just and the justifier. And it says being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Man can never have peace until he has peace with God. You can never have peace, sir. You won't find it in a bottle. You won't find it in pills. You won't find it in uh, relationships. You will find it only in the person of Jesus Christ. When you experience justification by faith. And that's what this world needs. That's what Marinette needs. We're not going to solve it by just saying no. Man doesn't have the solution. God has the solution. The solution is Jesus Christ. And he is the answer. And he wants to bring us peace. Sweet peace. A peace that is beyond understanding. And it has to start with us. Jesus wept for what might have been. And Israel lost her chance. She missed it. There are people every day dying and going into a Christless eternity. Because they've missed their chance. Or they've refused it. That's the story of many lives. Today if you're watching online. Or if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ. This is your day. You can turn the tribulations and the tragedies. You can have triumph. Only in Christ. The final point is a day of tribulation. Verses 43 and 44. You know, a lot of this is a dual prophecy. It happened, but it's going to happen again at the end of the tribulation for Israel. 43 says, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, And they will not leave one stone upon another. Because you did not know the day of your visitation. And it came to pass. In 70 AD, the Roman army marched into Jerusalem and leveled it. Destroying the city. Killing many men, women, and children. Jesus saw that day and he wept. It 
what's going to happen again at the end of the tribulation. Millions are going to die. Before Jesus returns, they cry out and say, Hosanna, save us. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said that when they came to excavate and dig in Jerusalem, that the workers thought that there never could have been a city there inhabited because it was so torn down. That represents a life that is spent without Jesus Christ. People shouted Hosanna, and Jesus wept. They saw the beauty of the temple. That initiated a conversation between Jesus and his disciples when they said, Lord, look at these beautiful buildings. And Jesus' response was, not one stone's going to remain unturned. Jesus saw coming destruction when they saw the city and the temple. They saw the present, Jesus sees the future. One of the most sobering sermons I ever heard was years ago out of the book of Peter, where Peter said, if the righteous scarcely be saved, what shall the end be of those who obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ? God knows the answer to that question. And he weeps. We've got to realize that. Church, we cannot lose the fact that our purpose for being is not to provide a nice place where we can sit around and sing kumbaya. We gather where we can have the strength and encourage one another to go out into a lost world with the message of hope and salvation in Jesus Christ. Our purpose is to reach Marinette, Menominee, Peshtigo, and the surrounding area, and to send missionaries around the world with this gospel. The Father loves His Son so much that He wants the entire world to be saved and drawn to Him. Why this tribulation? Why such a terrible outcome? Jesus answered, because you did not know the day of your visitation. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. That was an accident. It's pretty much on time. (laughs) So do you wonder about these tears? You know, you maybe weren't expecting a tearful sermon on a day of shouting and praise. So we may wonder about the tears while the people were shouting hallelujah. But Jesus sees and he knows things that the crowd doesn't know. I believe that this Palm Sunday, it's appropriate. Don't think for a moment it's a wrong thing that we come in here and shout praise. Jesus welcomed that praise and shouting Uh, It's a good thing. There's a king in our midst. We have something to shout about, something to worship about. 
But let's not forget, there's also something outside of these doors. There's something to cry about. To mourn and to weep. When we visit our daughter in Nashville, Franklin, just south of Nashville, we come in, 24 comes into 65 interstate, and as you come in, you can see the skyline of the city of Nashville. I always find that awesome, even coming up 94 into Milwaukee, and you get on the Hone Bridge there, and you can see the skyline of Milwaukee along the lakefront. But long before Jesus seen in Nashville, a young lady confused about her gender go into a school and kill three children and three other adults and lost her life. You know, he wept for that girl as well. Do you know how many confused, hurting, broken lives there are in our communities? And their only answer is to find peace with the relationship with God. Perhaps today as we shout, Jesus is weeping over Marinette. Can you weep with him? There are still those who are refusing his love. There are those missing their opportunity. There are, there, there are those who are facing a day of tragedy and tribulation. An eternal hell. I don't feel real good. I, I believe there's going to be a harvest of souls. I believe that. But I believe this country is going to suffer some terrible things in the days ahead. He knows what rejecting him will mean. In fact, what we have now today in America is a result of our rejecting God. And it will only get worse if we continue to reject him. And I want to ask you that are here as well as those who are watching online. Are those tears for you? Is the spirit of grace and supplication drawing your heart today? I just believe there are some, especially online, I just felt as I was preparing this. That it's time to come home. It's time to stop refusing. It's time to stop making excuses. It's time to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And if you're in this congregation today, before you leave, you need to repent and give your life back to God. I'm going to pray a prayer. If you've never received Jesus Christ or you're coming home, I want all the church to repeat it with me. And if you're watching online, whether it's today or some other time, I encourage you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Just repeat after me, dear Jesus, 
I acknowledge I need you. I thank you that you died on the cross to save me from my sin. I ask you to forgive me, cleanse me, wash me, sanctify me, and justify me through the blood of Jesus Christ. I repent of my sin and I surrender my life. I accept you as my King and my Lord. I pledge my allegiance to Jesus Christ. Today I accept Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, and eternal life. I accept and I receive it and I give you the praise. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand. Hallelujah.